If you would just stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be reading from Psalm 89. This is, this is kind of a longer psalm, so we're just going to read a section of this. We're going to read verse 19 through 37. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. Then the enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with the stripes. But I will not remove from, from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness... I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. If you would bow with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for uh, just understanding. As always, we want to understand. And the heart to apply uh, the things that you have uh, told us and the things that you are saying to us today and and the ability to just see and understand your purposes as we'll see in this psalm. We know that's such a a great thing for us to be able to rise up in the midst of heartbreak and sorrow and and different things that we face in life. In Christ's name, amen. Most of us enjoy progress, I would assume. Serlio loves a new technological device. Holmes, a tractor, you know, but, you know, there's different ones in here. I was thinking about when I was sitting here earlier, it's like, what do they like? And, there, you know, there are certain people, they're like, boy, something like that, that stands out as something uh, that really uh, is maybe an advancement in a certain area, and, and it's just neat to see those kinds of things. And uh, we live in a society where there are a lot of things like that. Uh, their knowledge sharing is just insane, like the, the level of stuff that you can learn and uh, study and understand and, and the things that uh, because of all the knowledge sharing you, you keep getting faster and faster and improving things and um, there are good things and bad things about progress like that's something we know I mean there are some really great things and some you know that kind of scare you uh, I always mess with I was messing with a friend the other day about artificial intelligence and saying like your job's done you know but and I was like why do you say stuff like that and he's like, well, where I'm at in my career, I'm high enough not to worry about it. You know, I was like, okay, all right, well, maybe it's not done anyway. But uh, it's interesting 
improvements and all those kind of things do make you wonder about, about that. And so, um, but sometimes when you think about progress, or even if you hear the word progressive, uh, some of you might say, ooh, I don't, I don't want to hear progressive. You know, progressive Christianity, progressive things with regard to politics, you might say, I don't, that, that makes it, it takes it into a different realm. Um, and I was, I heard somebody kind of talking about this recently, because really people are, uh, a, lot, a lot of times, especially in our culture, we are looking for uh, things that we think will fix this world that we live in, and uh, a lot of times science and technology and those kind of things are the things that we are drawn to, and I think that's important. But anyway, this author was saying that when you think about the idea of progress, it comes from this Christian idea of moving towards the kingdom of God, so that you're getting things, or in a way you're thinking about things getting better. But, you know, it's, uh, it is, I think it's important for us to stop because, again, we have this tendency to trust in ourselves, in humanity, and, and, and we think, oh, we're going to just make this better. And if we can get really smart people together, uh, we are going to make the whole world better and solve all the problems and the ills of society. And one of our um, presidents, uh, past presidents, when he was nominated, part of his speech, this is what he said, Generations from now, we will be able to look back and tell our children that this was the moment when we began to provide care for the sick, good jobs to the jobless. This was the moment when, we, when the rise of our oceans began to slow and our planet began to heal. This was the moment when we ended a war and secured our nation and secured our image as the last best hope on earth. So those are, that's very much like if you're hearing that, you're thinking like, this is new creation imagery. This is the restoration of our earth and our world, you know. And depending on what side you're on of like some of a political party, you might be like, this is the moment, you know. This is the savior of this generation and it will carry forth forever. And our tendency is to kind of be like, it, it is, isn't it, you know. And so we kind of do that kind of thing. And so I think it's important to think about progress and say, you know why, what, it's not bad. It's not bad that we can help other people and encourage one another along the way and to fight against some of the difficulties of this fallen world. I mean, I love the progress they've made in like scientific discoveries with regard to my health, right? And there's things like that where you're like, I'm really thankful for that. But then there's other things like, uh, like the artificial intelligence thing where everybody's taken aback and going, mm, how's this going to work? And what is this going to look like? But at the end of the day, it is very common for men to think in terms of like trusting in um, maybe a leader or some, you know, movement. Um, and I was thinking about uh, the book of Isaiah, like the first five chapters of Isaiah is kind of a celebration, not, not really, it's not really a celebration of the hope of man, it's showing the frailty of your hope in man. But the first five chapters uh, is kind of like showing how men trust in men, you might say. And then in Isaiah 6, the king dies. And guess what happened? All their hopes died with it. But then there's this prophet that's visited. And you know who he's visited by? God. And the prophet sees the Lord. And then, then there's perspective. All your hope in humanity might be lost, but you can hope in the eternal God. And that's where salvation is found. And so that's kind of what I think we're talking about today. We're going to be looking at kind of this thing of like, okay, 
in the, when we look at all of life and we think about these great hopes, what are we standing on? What is God going to do? What can we trust Him to do and to accomplish for us? We want to live in awe of Him. And we want to hope both in the, we want to remind ourselves of what Christ accomplished and what He's promised to accomplish in the end. We always want our eyes looking forward to the future. We're forward-thinking people as we look to the future of the coming of the Messiah. We're really announcing that to other people and saying, He's going to come, and you know all those things that are wrong? He's going to make them right. All those things that you're trying to like alleviate in this world, like he's going to restore all those things. And that can fuel a passion for you to do good, but not to trust in the things that you can do in a way that will like really cause you to be really sad, to be quite honest. You know? So I hope that you see that as we're moving through and we're thinking about that this morning. We're going to be thinking about the promise given to David. We're going to see this guy see the promise and go, oh no. Like, uh, it looks like everything's lost. Then we're going to be reminded, of course, in, with from, especially from our vantage point, that that promise has been fulfilled, and the ultimate result of that is to come. So, that's kind of the big picture. that good enough? Y'all ready? Okay, let's go. We'll look at this. So, this guy, Ethan, is speaking. Now, when he's speaking, again, it's in a really hard time. So, he could be like a contemporary of uh, Jeremiah, and he sees everything as it is you know it's all messed up and he's looking at it and he could be a contemporary there and say you know what Jerusalem's been destroyed the kingdom has fallen uh, the people have been carried off or he could be a contemporary uh, of David and, and he's seeing all these things take place but in a prophetic way he can see what is to come we don't know that for sure uh, but it does seem to uh, lean the direction of him seeing the, the trouble, you know, everything's fallen in 586 B.C. So we're going to Psalm 89, we're looking at it, and I want you to just kind of think about it in terms of, uh, we're going to look at five different sections. And so you'll see that structure. It'll start with God's faithful love to David, then it's going to show God's saving power. So it's like God can make promises and he's strong enough to make those happen. And then the third section, which is kind of the center of it, He'll go back to God's covenant with David and help you see it. And then the fourth section is the rejection of David's line and God's wrath. And then the fifth is um, saying, God, aren't you going to be faithful to what you promised David? That's kind of where he ends. So that, that's where we are. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. And we'll see how God's salvation is on display uh, in this world through this, the line of David and, and what the ultimate hope points to. He says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. Uh, you will establish your faithfulness. So what he's saying is, is God's covenant love stands. God sets his covenant love on a people and it lasts forever. He is faithful to what he promises. That's a huge deal. A lot of people in this world make promises and you have to write out a bunch of contractual stuff and put every little thing in the word so that you can say, look, this is exactly what we're going to do and everybody's going to sign it and they still might turn against that, you know? But in this thing, it's like when God makes a promise, he doesn't just intend to keep it, he keeps it. And he is, so that's, that's important to see. Now look at verse 3 and 4. So what kind of steadfast love are we talking about? Look at verse 3. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, 
my servant. So he's saying, um, this steadfast love is tied to covenant. That's a big deal in the Bible. I was talking to the boys about that the other night, just about covenant. And of course, we talked about like different ways. I actually said, like, if you, you and if Will and Ben got together and uh, said, I promise not never to punch you in the face, and then you promise to never punch him in the face, and then y'all like signed it, you know, and, and, but if you broke the covenant, you know, I said, like, we might cut your hand off that punched him in the face, you know. But anyway, they were like, oh, my goodness, this is scary. Is this what covenant's like? Covenant is really serious in the Bible. And there are these covenant commitments that are made. And when you make these covenant commitments, um, they are intended to be kept. When God does it, especially like with the Davidic covenant and the, the, uh, um, the promise or, or the Abrahamic kind of covenant, you might call it, um, when he makes those promises are unilateral, meaning God's going to do it whether or not you fail or not. So God says, I will do this, and you might, you know, not do right, but God's going to do it. So I think it's important to see that. So he's made this covenant to the chosen one, David, my servant, and I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. And so it's, it's, a, it's a forever covenant, not dependent upon David. Now we're going to see in David's line where there's going to be some discipline, but the covenant stands. And that is so important because it, it, you've got to get that in your mind. Uh, God is not like us where we make promises and we might keep them if everything works like we like or we don't get bored or you don't forget, you know. Like he's not like that. He's not like that. And um, so we see that, and we see his plan on display for us. So we see God is going to have or to save the world through this, through David's line. And then we go to this place where we see God's saving power. Verse 5, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. What is he saying? He is saying, like, he's kind of helping you see, like, um, the wonder of God's faithfulness in the heavenly places. So it's not just that God controls the earth, but heaven and earth is kind of the idea. Verse 6, For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? So he's this holy other, separate from all the other heavenly beings ever created, and this is summoning them to praise him. That's kind of the idea, you could say. In verse 7, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. So all the heavenly hosts, they all fear him, rightly so, that they can see the grandeur of God and his glory and the wonder of him. And so we started with this promise of, to David, but now you're seeing like the power to make the promise happen. You know, like I said, there are people, and, and some of you may have grown up in a family where behind you was maybe a strong man, and he was capable of doing things, and so maybe you're like a little kid, and you're kind of thinking like you're walking around, kind of strutting around like you're really awesome, but really there's a power behind you like upholding everything for you, and you're just kind of there with no strength, but somebody's holding your hands up, right? Well, in this particular thing, when you're looking at it, he's saying like, look, God made this promise to, the, to, this, to David and to his line, and he, he's able to keep it. He's above all. He's above all. 
He's above all those around him. He is awesome above all around him. Verse 8, O Lord of Ho- God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with all your faithfulness all around you. So the, the answer is nobody. Nobody is stronger than God. He is declaring that, and he's kind of calling the heavenly hosts to praise God with him. You rule, and now we move to the earth. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Um, I remember a professor one time, he was, uh, he, I think it was Isaiah 40, yeah, 40, 12. It talks about like God holding the waters in the hollow of his hand, like the ocean in the hollow of his hand, demonstrating his greatness. And he said, I took my kids to the beach, we went out there, I got in the water, and I put the, as much water as I could in my hand and say, see how much dad can hold in his hand? And then he said, you see this ocean? God can hold that into, in his hand. So he's saying, both in heaven and on earth, God's power is great. Now you might say, well, hold on just a second. It's easy to say that. Prove that in some way. Verse 10, you crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Now, if you look at Isaiah 37, Psalm 87.4, Isaiah 51.9, all of those will help you see that we're talking about Egypt. That's kind of the picture. And in that picture, you're seeing like him defeat the Egyptians and, and, just, and really crush them. And so I think it's important that you understand that and you see that. So he's saying like, okay, you want to see it on earth? Look at that nation, Egypt. Go, go check that out. You want to go spend a little time? Sometimes you'll read in the, I, I don't remember what, if it was in a psalm or one of the minor prophets, and he said, hey, why don't you go look? What happened to those people? They were so great. What happened to them in a moment? So verse 11 and 12, what do you see? His dominion is over all. The heavens are yours and the earth are yours. You're saying, Jared, why are we talking about this? We are talking about this because he's made a promise to David. And then he's building a case for God has the power to accomplish what he has promised to do. So that's important. Agreed? Because you make promises and you may or may not be able to keep. Or you might forget about. Or you might whatever. And you make, and probably some of you do that your whole life. Some of you grow up and mature and like stop making stupid promises. Right? But some of you are like, I can do whatever, you know, and it's like, no, you can't. You know, I mean, there's like limitations to us, there's no limiting of God. So verse 13 and 14, you have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So not only is God, you got to see this, not only does God make a promise to David, he has the power and the character. That, that's important too, because he's good, right? You, you might say, you could have the power but you're a sorry person. You're not good. But he's not sorry. He's like steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. The foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. He always does the right thing. He always does what he says he's going to do. Verse 15 and 16. Blessed are the people who know this, the, the feastal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day, 
and in your righteousness are exalted. So the idea here is, blessed are the people who can see this. The knowledge of God informs their life. People that can truly get a glimpse of the Almighty respond in awe. Blessed are those people that get to experience it. So we're saying, look, God says he's going to save the world through David. God has the power and character that can do that. Now he's going to return and say, okay, what, what are the stipulations of that promise? Because you kind of want to know, like, what, what? come on, man, what, what does that even mean? He made a promise to David? What does that mean? What kind of promise? And look what he says. Verse 17 and 18. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted, for our shield belongs to the Lord our King, to the Holy One of Israel. And you go to verse, so you kind of see this choice being on display here. Our King belongs to the Holy One. Verse 19, Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I anointed him. So we're seeing him choose David. He has set him apart as his. It's a very special thing. He said this is, he is his uh, uniquely chosen for this task one. Then you go on. Verse 21 to 24 He's going to make him victorious. Like I said about the little kid that thinks he's so strong, and maybe sometimes it's a young adult, he thinks he's so strong because somebody's holding him up. David's strength is found in the Lord. So that my hand shall be established with him, my arm shall also strengthen him, the enemy shall not outwit him, the wicked shall not humble him, I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. What's it saying? God is going to uphold him. That's part of the covenant. He chose him. He's going to be the strength behind him. So again, what are we thinking about? God's going to save the world through David. He has the power and character to do it. And then you see that we find out what is that all about. It is that he is going to strengthen him. He's chosen him. He's going to strengthen him. In verse 25, he's going to exercise dominion and through 28 over God's world. Through him, I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. That, that you see this dominion there. Verse 26, he shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and my, the God of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep with you forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. So you're seeing he's making him preeminent. He's standing beside him. And you know, you're, you're thinking, come on, man, just what, what's, where are we going here? Well, stay with this psalm and you'll see. I will establish his offspring forever. His throne is the days of the heavens. It's an eternal promise here, an eternal covenant. Verse 30. Now here's where, really verse 30 through 32 I think it's interesting, in verse 30 and 29, it's kind of like his offspring, or you could say seed, which is going to be picked up in the New Testament, speaking of Christ. But uh, between like David and this seed that's to come, verse 30 through 32, you will see, and we've been reading through that. If you've been doing Bible recap, we've been reading through those kings. And uh, one of my kids said the other night, why are, they so, why are those people so bad? 
I was like, they, they are bad. He's like, good night. And God's always dis- disciplining them too. They're just so bad, you know. I used to have a friend be like, they're baby kids. I don't know. Y'all might know what that is. But anyway, okay. if you don't, you can look it up later. Okay, so, but they're going to experience this chastening, this discipline. But then you go on. Verse 33 through 36. But even though they're really bad, even though the Davidic line had a lot of people that did not walk in the ways of David, look what he says. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. You see that? So what's he saying? He's saying like even if they are bad, this covenant that I made, this promise that I made, it's going to stand in spite of them because I made it. Verse 37, like the moon it shall be established forever a faithful witness in the skies. So look up at the moon. Is the moon there? The moon's there. Is the moon a hundred years later there? The moon's there. Is it there a thousand years later? Yes, it's there. And like that is in the sky, so is this promise that I have made. So you're saying, like, again, I like to repeat it. Anna's like, Anna and I always talk about, like, she doesn't like repetition as much as me. But I like it because it helps you understand, okay? So God makes a promise to save the world through David. God has the power and character to do that. Um, God's covenant with David is not dependent upon man. It's dependent upon the promise. But then, when you're looking at this, and if you're, if you're sitting there right after 586 B.C., and the people have been taken into Babylon, and you're with Jeremiah, and you're like watching all this unfold, and your heart is broken and everything's destroyed, the question is, then why have you cast them off? Why have you rejected? You know, if you kind of forget, you might have thought like, the discipline, I didn't think it was going to be that bad. I didn't think that, when the Lord gives you a whipping, like, it's a legit, you know, that's kind of the idea here when you're looking at this. So, verse 38, but now you have cast off and rejected, you're full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant, you have defiled his crown in the dust. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. It looks like, I mean, it's in the dust. The crown's in the dust. The, the crown never should be there. I mean, it's, it, it like, it's almost like the king's been killed and the, it fell on the ground and there was no one to wear the crown. It's, it's done. Verse 40 through 44, you have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. So you can imagine the crown has fallen. It's on the ground. People begin to go through and they've like crushed the stronghold. So you could think about this wall around the city and it's just crumbling down. And then looters come in and they start robbing everything from the kingdom. All the gold, all that's in the treasury, all the beautiful things, all the works of art. All of this stuff is just being taken away and you're looking at it thinking, what in the world? The covenant's been renounced. is what it appears before your eyes. 
Notice what it says. You've exalted the right hand of his foes. It's exactly opposite of what we thought it was going to be. This doesn't look right. Nothing about this. You've also turned back the edge of his sword and you have not made him stand in battle. He can't fight. There's nothing. Everything's like the enemies have rushed over him and destroyed him. You've made his splendor to cease and cast his throne again to the ground. There's no beauty. There's no wonder in the kingdom. It's all darkness. It's gray. If you, I mean, it would almost be like it goes from beautiful and glorious. You know, it reminds me of, uh, the, I think it's in the Chronicles of Narnia, where you could imagine it being cold and dark and, and frigid and not warm. You know, because it's like everything, it's been taken over by the darkness. Uh, that's not exactly what we're experiencing right now. Yeah, but we were just talking about that. You remember the winter when everything was frozen, you know, everywhere? If you never left winter, the kingdom has just fallen apart here. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. The idea is like he just kind of propped up for the kingdom didn't last that long. What is going on? You know what? He's not saying progress and hope in man. All of the hope in man. All of the hope in really, in, in a way, in God's working with man is lost here. So what's his response? Does he think God's really done? That's, this is awesome. So if you like kind of checked out about 10 minutes ago, you can pop back in. Does he think it's all lost? How long, O oh Lord? That's a big deal. That's a big deal in the saints and the revelation. How long, O oh Lord? That's hope. That's faith. That's trusting in where else am I going to go? How long, O oh Lord? Will you hide your face forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? You know, it's like you've made this promise, God. It appears that it's all lost. You've You've given up on us. You didn't do what, you know, you made all these glorious promises to us. But in a way, his heart's saying, I know it will not last forever. Verse 47, remember how short my time is. Now, here's a cool thing. Have you ever wished that you just had a little more time? Maybe as you got older, you'd be like, I'd just like to see this happen. I mean, for some of you, it may be like, I'd like to see my grandkids grow up. I would like to see whatever. There's a lot of different things because when you realize how short your time is, it, 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 you kind of think like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to see it. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. It, it's kind of like the idea of like, this seems all wasted and I'm not even going to get to see anything. I'm not going to see you restore the thing that you promised to do. I'm never going to see it. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Now this is interesting. In the first instance, he's thinking about himself. But he's like, um, he, he, he kind of, he moves into a place where you, can, you think, oh my goodness. Is he, is he pointing to something greater here? Is he, is he talking about a deliverance from Sheol like what's he saying like I can't come up from the grave and see it when it's time or can he 
You know, it's kind of the idea of the way I would think about it. Now, verse 49 through 52, he pleads with the Lord to act. So go back and think about this with me. He starts and says, David's line is the answer for the world. It's the answer to all the problems of the world, all the things that you might face. It's the answer. It's the answer. And then he says, God, we know you have the strength and the character. You will bring this to pass. And then he says, y'all know what that covenant's like? I mean, that's a forever covenant. Power, the ability to make everything right, the world's right under his rule, the kingdom is beautiful under his rule, things are green, it's lush, it's it's right, everything's right. And then he's looking at his world and saying, no, it's not. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. And there's this touch of like, what did you do, God? Just decide to like throw aside that covenant. But I really believe, you know what? What I really believe is you might do something. This last part is he's pleading with the Lord to act. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? which by your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock. O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. He's saying, Lord, I know you can change it. Please change it. We're bearing the reproach of all these people. Vindicate us, Lord. That's kind of what he's saying. Now, some of you are in a circumstance, maybe right now, that you wish could change. That, that's going to be something you're going to spend your whole life. And, you, and there may be times where you're like, oh man, we're going to come up with a way to make that change. We're going to come up, some, or, or maybe as you get older you think, well, we just got to get the right person in this place or that place, and that'll make it change. You're always looking for a way for change. And some of you may think, oh my goodness, in my job, if I could just change this one thing, or in my marriage, if I could change this, or with my kids, if I could just get this right. I just want, I want to make something to happen. I want it to change. And you, we look for ways for change, and we hope for change. And the reality is, is the ultimate change that we're looking for, the thing where we're saying, could my soul ever be satisfied? Could we ever live and really live forever? Can we ever be filled with the fullness of God? Could there ever be really happy times that would never go away? Could there ever be a time where I could be healthy and feel right and all those things? Could it, could it ever be right? Could I ever experience the presence of God in such a full way that I know Him and experience Him in, in a way that I think I'm close to Him and near Him and I want what He wants? Could it ever be like that? Because I know He made a promise and I know He has the power. But I don't really know what to do with that. The Bible says that Jesus conquered all of our enemies. The seed of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He redeemed us. He died in our place, taking on the wrath of God. He satisfied God's justice. He broke the power of evil, nailing it to the cross. He has accomplished everything to save us to the uttermost. Humanity's not going to save them, so we're not going to save ourselves. But He, 
He is going to save. And there's coming a day when the king will return where everything will be right. Sickness, starvation, climate, war, fears, all those things where people are at enmity with one another, all that stuff, there's coming a day where everything will be made right. Things will be made right in your family. Things will be made right with your friends. Things will be made right in governments. Things will be right. And we will live in the light of the sun forever and ever in a benevolent kingdom that will never pass away. If you are outside of Christ this morning, you will only know darkness. If you are in Christ, you will know lightness forevermore. And what we have to do in this moment and in this time is when we struggle and think, oh my goodness, there is all hope is lost. The covenant with David, has it been, is it done away with? We look to the cross and we look forward to his second coming. And we embrace that and we treasure that and we trust in that and we hope in it. And that is the thing that is the thing that would most satisfy your soul and most delight you. And it's a promise that will stand forever. And so I hope that you will trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to just remind us when we are thinking like um, all hope is lost, let us see what we're hoping in and direct our eyes to the heavens where the Lord Jesus is seated at the right hand of the power on high. He reigns forever and ever. He is interceding on our behalf. He has shown us grace forevermore. We pray we would trust him. In Jesus' name, amen.